I had the opportunity to speak at the Regent University Chapel just about a week and a half ago. And I spoke to students and faculty. I began by saying this. I believe that today that you have a question you need an answer to. I believe that there's a problem that you need a solution to. I believe that there is a hope. There's a hope in your heart. There's a hope inside of you that is like a dream waiting to be born. Today, I want you to take that hope that is in your heart waiting to be born, and, uh, and I want you to go through a door with it. I get a lot of emails, you get a lot of emails. Some of them you just delete before you read them, and, and some of them you, you really aren't sure, so you go, I'll look at this, and, and then you, you delete it. Uh, I got this email the other day, and I got really excited. It is with the highest regard, Michael Simone, that recipients of this notice have been issued a badge of honor. When I got to badge of honor, it just, it just lifted me up. It made me feel so good. With your newly acquired badge of honor, you, Michael Simone, are now eligible to claim the maximum number of entries available from a single bulletin. This means that with a prompt response by May 7th, you'll receive 10 entries to win $5,000 a week for life. And this just wasn't an, an impersonal email. There was a signature on the email. Deborah Holland, Executive Vice President, Publishers Clearinghouse. There she is. Deborah, I'm waiting. Deborah, I love you. Maybe the prize patrol is going to come right down the aisle right here this morning. And, and it's exciting when you get things like that. The other day I got a call from my wife. I said, hello. She said, oh, I made a mistake. She hung up. <laughs> That's why I need Deborah Holland to send me emails like this just to lift me up. You know, there are doors that we want to go through and doors we don't want to go through. In Isaiah 30, 21, we hear words that are an encouragement. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God is, is showing us doors. God is showing us pathways. He's saying, go this way. This is the right way. I want you to move into this. I want you to go through that door. 
sometimes fear holds us back. Sometimes having other options seem to hold us back. We have sometimes so many options, we get, we get paralyzed and we don't make a choice. Sometimes blindness to the door. We just don't see the door. And, and not seeing the door, we don't know where to go. Sometimes a wrong view of God holds us back. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. The doors God opens are like this. This is just such a great description. Unlimited chances to do something worthwhile. Grand openings into new and unknown adventures of significant living. Heretofore, unimagined chances to do good, to make our lives count for eternity. Sometimes you hear people say, when God closes a door, he opens a window. The Bible doesn't say that, however. Well, then who says it? Father Superior from the Sound of Music says that. (laughs) The Bible says, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. If God opens it, you got to go through it. Nobody can stop that. If God closes it, doesn't matter how much pressure you put on it, you're not going to open it. You could, you could throw yourself upon the door. It won't open if God's not doing it. The Bible puts it this way in, in one of the most oft-quoted passages of Scripture, one that many of you have committed to memory. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I always like to point out when I share that with someone, it doesn't say don't have understanding. It says don't lean on your side of the equation because God sometimes is is going way beyond your, your understanding. He's going way beyond your ability to sort things out. And when you trust in him, you have to know that he is making your life go in the right direction. I love that passage, those two verses. And I get to share that often with, with a lot of people. But as they say on TV, wait, there's more. Because if you keep going into Proverbs 3, you hear these wonderful words. Verses 13 through 26. How blessed is the, the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who hold her fast. Then you will walk in your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. And your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Your sleep will be sweet. 
The Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. I want to, uh, to tell you a little story this morning about one of my favorite Bible characters, a man named Gideon. And we're not going to do the, uh, the big story of Gideon this morning, but I'd like to, to paint a quick picture for you of Gideon and what happened in his life in Judges chapter 6. If you go to Judges 6, you're going back about 3,200 years. The year is approximately 1192 B.C. Uh, Israel is under attack from tribes from the east. One of the most prominent of those tribes is the Midianites. And the Midianites would come, and they'd come hard and fast, and they would sweep in, and, and they would plunder the, the men and women of Israel. They would just do all kinds of dastardly things. We pick it up in Judges chapter 6. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelis took to the mountains, living in caves and dens. Marauders from Midian came and they left nothing to eat, and they took away all their sheep, oxen, and donkeys. These enemy hordes arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and stayed until the land was completely stripped and devastated. So Israel was reduced to abject poverty because of the Midianites. And at last, the people of Israel began to cry out to the Lord for help. So here it is, 3,200 years ago. And you have sort of a, a similar story that you hear today about people who just want to come and plunder other people, people who want to come and, and hurt other people. I read one Jewish commentary that said that when they came over, they, they, they burned down their, their houses. It's terrible, terrible things that people do in the name of, of we deserve to have what you have. We will take it from you. And it's 3,200 years later, and you read about the same things happening in the world today. So these people, in great desperation, they just cry out to the Lord. We'll pick up the story in verse 11. But one day the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the oak tree at Ophrah. Now, when it says the angel of the Lord, many, many, many theologians say those are appearances of Jesus Christ in these stories. And, and I believe that that's a true understanding of the angel of the Lord. So here Jesus comes because he was with God in the beginning, the Bible says. Before, before time as we know it began, Jesus was with God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the eternal Trinity, always one God, always three expressions of that one God. So Jesus comes now and sits down under an oak tree on the farm of Gideon's father. Gideon, it says, has been threshing wheat by hand in the bottom of a grape press, a pit where grapes were pressed to make wine, for he was hiding from the Midianites. So he, he had to do this. They had to make bread. He, he was afraid. He was afraid for his life. He was hoping that he wouldn't be kidnapped. He was hoping that he wouldn't become somebody's slave. For the angel, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty soldier or mighty warrior, the Lord is with you, which is a very odd thing to say, and you're about to find out why. Stranger, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? It's a question that echoes through history. You can hear the echo of that question now. 
if God is there, why do all these terrible things happen, these bad things happen? And where are all the miracles our ancestors have told us about, such as when God brought them out of Egypt? Where, where's all that power that we need right now? Now the Lord has thrown us away and has let the Midianites completely ruin us. Then the Lord turned to him and said, I will make you strong. Go and save Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. That must have terrified Gideon because now God has, has flung open a door. He's saying, go through this door. I'm sending you. The truth is, each and every one of us has a Midianite, I mean a Gideon moment in our lives. Yeah, there might be Midianites on the other side of the door too. But we all have a Gideon moment where God says, I'm sending you to do this. I need a job done and I choose you. And so listen to Gideon's response. But Gideon replied, sir, how can I save Israel? My family is the poorest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least thought of in the entire family. I, people walk by me. Nobody cares about me. I talk. Nobody listens to me. My family is poor. So he gives all the circumstances that surround his life as an excuse. But the circumstances of our lives are never an excuse. If God is doing something, if God's pointing you to go in a direction and he's outlined a door for you, Whereupon the Lord said to him, but I, Jehovah, will be with you. That's the ultimate truth of what God is saying to each and every one of us all the time. I'm God, and I'm, and I'm with you. And you shall quickly destroy the Midianite hordes. This doesn't even make sense to Gideon at this point. Gideon replied, if it is really true that you are going to help me like that, then do some miracle to prove it. Because I don't, I don't see it, he's saying. Prove that it is really Jehovah who is talking to me. But stay here until I go and get a present for you. All right, the angel agreed. I'll stay here until you return. Gideon hurried home and roasted a young goat and baked some unleavened bread from a bushel of flour. Then carrying the meat in a basket and broth in a pot, he took it out to the angel who was beneath the oak tree and presented it to him. So, so Gideon goes and he makes lunch for God. He makes lunch for Jesus. I always love in the Bible when somebody makes lunch. It's lunchtime. It's lunchtime. You know, the Lord is just sitting there waiting, and so Gideon comes and brings his lunch. The angel said to him, place the meat and the bread up upon that rock over there and pour the broth over it. Strange request, but Gideon complies. When Gideon had followed these instructions, the angel touched the meat and bread with his staff, and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed them, and suddenly the angel was gone. Boom! Barbecue big time. Big time. All I could do now was like smell the, the roasted goat in the air. It was gone, and, and God had disappeared. Well, you remember what, what Gideon asked for? He said, you know, so that I know I need to see you do something. It was poof. It was amazing. So now Gideon understands that something's, something big is going to happen. We're going to cut to the end of the story. Judges 6, 36 to 40. So Gideon says to God, this is starting to be like a theme in his life. You know, 
if there's a door out there and you want me to go through this door, I really have to know. Then Gideon said to God, if you're really going to use me to save Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I'll put some wool on the threshing floor tonight. And if in the morning the fleece is wet and the ground is dry, I will know you are going to help me. And it happened just that way. When he got up the next morning, he pressed the fleece together and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to the Lord, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more test. <laughs> this time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet. So the Lord did as he asked. That night the fleece stayed dry, but the ground was covered with dew. This is what's called putting a fleece before the Lord. Lord, if you want me to do this, if you want me to go there, if you want me to marry the person sitting next to me in church right now, if you're not already married, show me something. And while God doesn't always have to work in that way, he does sometimes. I've seen God work like that at specific times in my life when there was a lot at stake, and there's a lot at stake here. So he's, he's making sure that Gideon knows that Midian's going down, and I'm going to use you. But there are other times when God wants to grow you up, and God has already set the, the course and opened the door, and he's called you through, and, and the fleece thing isn't appropriate, and it's not going to work, because he's already made it abundantly clear. So we can't use fleeces as something that we want to use for everything. But at times, they're a good resource for understanding the open door. God's will is found when you look for wisdom and you ask people for wisdom. God's will is found when you look in your heart and you, you see that God's put something in your heart to do and yet you don't know how you're going to do it yet, but you know it's in your heart to do this, to become this to make this kind of a difference in the world. And God's will is found through open and closed doors. And God is the one who does that. But to do that with God, to understand how that works, you have to know the myths about doors, or what I simply call not true stuff about doors. Number one, God doesn't care. God doesn't care about the small stuff. That's a myth. There is no project so great that it doesn't need God, and there's no project so small that it doesn't interest God. God is interested in the details of our lives. He's interested in the difference between taking this class this way or going with this class and going another way. He's interested in your schedule tomorrow, your schedule for tomorrow. Now, he might surprise you, and disrupt your schedule in some way, but he's interested in what you have planned to do and how you're going to do it. He's interested in the family, the next family gathering. He's interested in where you're thinking you're going on vacation because he knows something during that vacation is going to happen. He speaks through vacations. He speaks through family gatherings. He speaks through opportunities and through decisions. God knows the, the deal that you've got you know, on the table tomorrow in, in the boardroom. He cares about every single detail of our lives. Don't ever discount that. He cares about the small stuff. He cares about the big stuff. He cares about the in-between stuff. He just cares. He's like a parent. There isn't a parent in the world that isn't interested in every single aspect of their child's life. 
They want to know how they can help them. They, want, they see things in the face of a child. They want to know why the child is sad. They look at every single detail of the life of a little girl, a little boy, or a teenage girl, or a teenage boy, or a grown-up. Even, even to this day, when we have adult children, we are interested in every single aspect of their lives, and God is the same way with us. Another myth is, if I can't tell which door to choose, I'm doing something wrong. If I can't tell which door to choose, then something wrong is going to happen or I'm going to do something wrong. That's a myth. I often tell this story when I hear about a young person who's kind of struggling to get through school. Uh, Maybe they've had to take a year off or a term off or something happened and they're not sure about a, a course of study and I come out with my story. This is my story. It took me seven years to get through college, seven years. And I went to three different colleges, ended up back at the same college in New Jersey, Montclair State University, where I began. It took me seven years. I've told some of you this before. In the eyes of my family, they thought I was like bouncing around all over the place, so much so that when I finally graduated, I kind of graduated by accident. It's just that after seven years, I had so many credits, they just said, you're done. You know, I, was, I, was, I would have just kept going. But, um, so my family was just so glad that I was done. My mother bought a cake, and on the cake she wrote, finally. <laughs> That's why I have to go to counseling today. But, but the point is, those seven years taught me so much. Having gone to three schools, two of those schools, Christian colleges, Christian universities, taught me so much. I met so many different people. God showed up in so many different ways. I had friends across the country and around the world. I met people I never would have met. God did something amazing in my life in those seven years. Those were the doors I was supposed to go. It looked like I was all over the place. I was right on target, always, for where God wanted me to go. Third myth. If it's really an open door, my circumstance will be easy. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, A wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Good news. Big, wide open door for ministry here. It's going to be incredible. Bad news. Really big, ugly people on the other side who want to hurt me. It's a myth. If it's really an open door, my circumstance will be easy. The myth of easy plays out like this. John Orberg writes, If I've chosen the right vocational door, my job should bring me passion and fulfillment each day. My performance reviews should be straight A's. I should be my boss's favorite employee, while the people who report to me regularly write me notes asking how they can make me more successful. Co-workers who are difficult to get along with should quickly self-identify and transfer to some other organization, preferably in Alaska. If I choose the right doors, my financial life should be stress-free. Someone should make sure that my pension or IRA or 401k is invested in vehicles that carry no risk and double every three or four years. I should be able to acquire everything I want while still having a well-earned reputation for lavish generosity. If easy is my criterion for door judging, then every time I hit hard, I will be filled with doubt. 
about God, myself, and my choice. But an open door does not promise an easy life. In fact, when God calls people to go through open doors, what generally happens is life gets much harder. Abraham leaves home and faces uncertainty and danger. Moses has to confront Pharaoh and endure endless whining from his own people. Elijah runs away from a power-crazed queen. Esther has to risk her life to prevent genocide. The entire book of Nehemiah is arranged around resistance to Nehemiah's work that is both external and internal. Good news, a wide open door is there. Bad news, there's tough stuff on the other side. An open door never means it's going to be easy but it means God is always with you in the hard stuff. Open doors are about success is another myth. We sort of like that myth in in the Western world. We like that myth in 21st century America because a lot of what we, we see and a lot of what we hear is geared towards success. But open doors are about serving others without getting recognition. Open doors can be about giving and giving your, your life and your resources away far beyond what you thought you would ever be able to. Open doors, we don't want to talk about this. Open doors can be there so we can go through and repent. We did something wrong. We said something wrong. We acted in ways that were not in concert with the demands of a biblically principled lifestyle. And sometimes God says, there's the door, go through it and apologize. There's the door, Go through it and tell me what you did wrong. And then there's another door that's called forgiveness. And we'll go through that. And things will move on from this place. There can be open doors to honesty. Honesty about what you really want, who you really are. Um, Great stories in this book about John being honest about who he really is and being vulnerable, vulnerable about his position as a pastor, and yet sometimes not being able to live up to the demands that are of a man chosen to be in ministry. Myth number five. If I want something badly enough, God has to open a door so I can get it. Nope, he doesn't. He doesn't. 1972, I kept demanding from God that I wanted to get married that year. I said, this is it. This is the year. If I don't get married this year, 1972, I will never get married. So God, I'm looking to you to handle this. You can, you can figure this out for me. And on December 31st of that year, as I was watching the ball come down in Times Square, I was actually living in New York City at the time, but I, I wasn't in Times Square that day. It, it hit, and it was 1973, and I thought, that's it. Put this demand upon God, and it's over. Done. God doesn't answer to my demands. God's timetable happened to be 1976. Four years to go, and then in his time, for his reasons, for his grand purposes, for what he was doing in the lives of two people, it happened. We can't demand anything from him, but he shows up at the right time for the right reasons to grow you into the person he wants you to be. 
Myth number six, God can never force me through a door I don't like. In Proverbs 3, 11 through 12, it says, Do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. There are lots of doors you might not like, but you have to trust that with him on the other side is something to learn, something to grow in, something to experience that he needs built into you for the rest of your journey. Number seven, if I have chosen the wrong door, I have missed God's will for my life and will have to settle for second best. It's such a shallow view of God. Christian writer Frederick Buechner in his book Telling Secrets puts it this way, the sad things that happened long ago will always remain part of who we are, just as the glad and gracious things will too. But instead of being a burden of guilt, and regret that make us constantly stumble as we go, even the saddest things can become, once we have made peace with them, a source of wisdom and strength for the journey that still lies ahead. God has the amazing ability to remake your life, to reshape your life, to show you something new that's beyond some brokenness, that's beyond something that happened that you didn't want to happen. That's one of the great things about hearing that voice saying, I made this way for you now. Now walk in this way. Then finally, some doors are so closed, not even God can do anything about them. It's, it's one of the biggest lies of all, because God is not just moving doors, but here's the big thing. God can do anything, and the ultimate door is a person. The ultimate door is a person who can change anything, move anything, do anything in his time. It says in Ecclesiastes, he makes everything beautiful in his time, or in its time. In John 10, 9, these words of Jesus, they're like putting... God's hands on our shoulders. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What's pasture? Whenever you see a, a picture of pasture, you see, you see animals grazing, you see clouds going over, you see the sun shining. It's an image of peace. It's an image of you're going to be okay. I'm the door. Once you come in, you're saved, and then you're going to go in and out, and I am watching over you. There are never, ever doors that are closed that God can't open. Today, there's a question that you need an answer to. There's a problem you need a solution for. There's a hope for the future that is like a dream waiting to be born. If I'm going to take one thing from this, this great book that I hope you read, all the places to go, it's this last sentence here from John Orper. Faith is not getting what I want in my outer world. It's about God getting what he wants in my inner world. Faith is not me getting what I want in my outer world. It's about God getting what he wants in my inner world.
God's doing something in you and through you. He's opening some doors. He's closing some doors. He's, he's bringing wisdom into your life. He's put something in your hearts. But the door I want you to go through today as you leave is a door of hope. You all have cards. You all have these hope cards that we prepared for you. My hope is, and I want you to write what your hope is on this card. And we have a sort of a, a trellis out in the, in the lobby where you can go and pin this card. We have purchased a tree that we're going to plant on this property. We're just going to call it the hope tree. And when we plant the tree, we're going to plant all your hopes with the tree. And as the tree grows, it's, it's our hope that, that your hope grows and you understand the open and closed doors that God is providing for your life. When you write this, if you want it to be confidential, you just simply can fold it and pin it up there like I did when I went out there after the first service. Or if you want other people to walk by and read what your hope is, and there's some out there for you to walk by and read, you can just read it and just pin it up there. But write your hope and present it before God today. And say, God, this is the hope that I have that's like a dream waiting to be born, and I, I need to know the open doors, or I need to see the closed doors. Show me your will. And just like he showed Gideon, his will for him long ago. You too will have your Gideon moment when God says, this is the way. Walk in it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to, to be here this morning to learn about your will for us, to learn about open doors, closed doors, and, and how they work, and how you're in and through these experiences of our lives. Father, we, we all have hopes right now and we give you our hopes with a fervent prayer that you will reveal to us which are the doors to go through and which are the doors to have patience with and which are the doors that are closed and there's there's a way we must turn and go a different direction father we give you our lives we give you our hopes we give you our our dreams for a future that is shaped by your holy hands in jesus name Amen.